Let's talk. Docs. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Docs with Portia and Eric. And today we are talking to Megan. Yeah, and we're excited to have Megan here. Megan is a developer educator at Apollo. And Megan, do you want to give yourself a little bit of a longer intro? Yeah, sure. So hi, thank you for having me. My name is Megan Sullivan. Like you said, I'm a developer educator at Apollo. Before that, I studied CS in college and then kind of went into CS education afterwards. So I did curriculum writing at a couple different nonprofits. And then I worked as a software developer consultant at a consulting company called ThoughtWorks for a few years. And then I worked at Gatsby for a little while on their documentation. And now I'm at Apollo. Very cool. That's an awesome background. I love ThoughtWorks. I love a lot of their work and Gatsby. And yeah, sounds like lots of great spots in Apollo as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to see someone who has a background in education and teaching because before I as a software developer, I also did some teaching and worked in ESL. So it's great to see teachers in tech. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. And speaking of such, so let's get right to it, to the questions. We would love more of an origin story. So could you tell us what did you do before specializing in technical documentation? Yeah. So it's kind of been a bit of a roundabout path. So like I said, I studied CS in college I didn't really know anything about programming before I started it. I just sort of was 17 and had to pick a major and was like, I guess this one. And (laughs) then had a friend who was like, oh, you don't know anything about computers. Like you won't be able to do it. And then me being the like petty person that I am was like, well, watch me. I like have to do it now. So I know it's not the thing I love best about myself, but it makes for a good story, I guess. (laughs) But I ended up liking it. Once I got over the initial hurdle of being like, oh, I actually don't know what I'm doing. I've never heard of any of these programming terms before. I have never done any coding, really. I ended up like getting over that hump thanks to some really wonderful TAs and classmates. And so I like stuck with the CS major. And when I was a senior, I was TAing. So I was a teacher's assistant for the like intro level CS course, which was the same intro course that I had taken three years earlier. And so I really liked the process of being the one who gets to help students go from coming in at the same level that I was at of like not knowing what's going on and feeling really stressed and overwhelmed and helping them get to a place where they felt confident in what they were doing and in their own skills and abilities to learn a new thing. And so after college, I decided to like chase that feeling. And so I did an AmeriCorps program for a year where I was working in a third grade classroom. So just doing like in-classroom support with those students. And one of the things that I did on the side was teaching the kids, just like on our lunch breaks, I would bring a couple kids upstairs with me and we would play some coding games on my iPad and seeing them get excited about programming made me more excited about computers because like the college curriculum is kind of dry, very dense, but this was more like playful. And so I really liked seeing the emphasis of just like getting kids excited about doing a cool thing with a computer. And so after that AmeriCorps program, I worked at a couple different nonprofits. Uh, I worked at code.org as an intern on their education team, working on their high school curriculum. And then I worked as a curriculum writer at Girls Who Code, which is a nonprofit that focuses on teaching middle school and high school girls how to program. And 
So I really liked getting to use those educational skills and like learning how to be a better teacher. How do we present complicated technical concepts like inheritance and objects? Like how do you teach that in a way that's approachable for newcomers to programming? And then eventually I hit a point where I felt like, okay, I'm really good at teaching the basics of how to program. So like loops, conditionals, functions, but I have never worked on like an enterprise level piece of software. So like, I don't know how to deploy anything. I don't know how to build stuff outside of just like running it locally on your own computer and like maybe hosting it on Heroku. And so I wanted to get a deeper level of technical knowledge. And so that's what led me to apply. They had an entry-level software developer job at ThoughtWorks, which I felt like, okay, it'll be consulting. I'll get to try out a bunch of different projects. I'll get to learn from people because it's they had a specific entry-level program that kind of held your hands. They did a lot of training. You had like a coach that was paired with you for the first year or two. They had also won some awards for being like the best place for women technologists. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to have a good first impression of a tech company, this is going to be the place. Because <laughs> especially coming from Girls Who Code, it was like, oh, we don't necessarily highlight. But from the curriculum writer's perspective, thinking about, okay, there's a lot of bias in the tech industry. There's a lot of like not great stuff that happens. So that was really front of mind for me. And I was like, how do I not jump into that as my first engineering job? That's really smart. And it's really hard yeah. as a woman because you read these reports about how awful the environment can be but you don't really know what to do with that information. So right. it's really good that you took right. that information and you were able to find a very supportive environment to work in. Yeah, it was nice that we're sort of like always had a finger on the pulse of that, of just like, where are these stories coming from? Okay, cool. Add that to the like, do not work here list. If you don't mind, I would like to take a step back. And yeah. you mentioned your time in AmeriCorps, your time teaching people how to code. So if you were to go back, and design a CS program, how will you do it in a way that would be engaging? So that's kind of what I did when I was at Girls Who Code. So there we had like two different curricula that we worked on. The first one was like a summer program that was kind of like halfway in between a boot camp and a summer camp where it's like nine to five, maybe it wasn't nine to five, like nine to three every day, like school. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was like seven weeks long. They were like in a tech company. This was before COVID. So you could like go to a tech company and they had like a classroom of 20 students and like two TAs and a teacher. And you would just teach them how to code. They came in with little to no programming experience and then they left having worked on like a final project. What are s'mores? Oh, I'm sure there were snacks. Some of them, you know, tech companies, they wanted to like also kind of show off like here's all the cool stuff that you could get by working here. (laughs) So I'm sure that they definitely, I remember going to visit classrooms and girls were like, the snacks are great. There will be snacks. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. No, I was just going to say, so the, the things that we sort of tried to focus on in that summer curriculum are showing all of the different applications. So Working in tech could mean that you go to work at like Microsoft or Netflix or wherever, or it could mean that you're like working in healthcare or you're working at Pixar. Like there are a lot of different ways that knowing how to code can help you in different industries. So we tried to show that breadth of all of the things that you could do with tech. And then we also tried to make sure to focus on really practical, fun projects. We tried to show them like, hey, Let's make a game. Let's make like a little chat app. 
Like, let's find the things that relate to what you're already interested in and find a way to show how tech relates to that. I asked this question because I know when I was in college, I didn't even think of myself studying CS. It was, I didn't think I was smart enough and I never questioned that assumption. And the stereotype that I have is like someone who was antisocial, who kept to themselves, played a lot of games and liked uh, sci-fi. And I was none of those things. If we had programs out there that says, hey, no matter what you're into, CS can help you and can help others. And you don't need to like fit this archetype. Yeah, totally. And that's honestly part of the reason why in my CS major, I kind of felt like, oh, maybe this isn't for me because like I lived with all of those people, like all of my classmates, not all of them, but like a lot of my classmates fit that, fit that sort of stereotype, which like there's nothing wrong with that kind of person, but that doesn't mean that's the only way to be a person in tech. I also, right when I started that program was right around the time that the movie, The Social Network came out. And so that to me was like, oh, cool. Is this what being in tech is like? I want no part in that. (laughs) That's interesting. So just to kind of build on that, it sounds like one of the big complaints of like college curriculum and that kind of stuff is it's very like theoretical. We're going to do this class. I'm going to teach you like theory. And they're like, how does this apply to the real world? It's theory. You know, it's this very abstract concept. (laughs) And I, I really like the focus on kind of practicality. I do find that's much more engaging and also kind of applicability, right? Like make it fun, make it practical. And like people are going to see a much straighter line from like where they are to success and a job in the industry. So I really, I like that kind of perspective on it and being practical and having that as an alternative to something that's four years of how do regular expressions work as like set mathematics or, you know, (laughs) whatever it is. And I feel like there definitely is still room for the theory, right? Like at a certain point, you need to know how that stuff works or you don't need to know it, but it does help. And maybe it's interesting, but I don't think that can be the first step. Nobody is going to be like, oh, wow. Well, maybe somebody, I don't know. But (laughs) I think you have to show the practical applications first to kind of hook the majority of people in and be like, listen, you're going to be able to build this cool thing. Do you want to know how that works? Maybe let's take a peek behind the curtain and see some of that theory. And now that you are invested in it, you care more about that explanation versus this is just some lecture I have to listen to because I'm going to be tested on it. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to graduate in time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so changing gears a bit, and this is probably related to what you've said before, but what inspired you to get into technical writing? How did technical writing speak to you? Yeah. So this sort of <laughs> picks back up in the like origin story. So when I was at ThoughtWorks, I was a full-time software developer. And so that was nice because I learned a bunch of technical skills, but I found myself really missing the education piece. I like breaking down complicated problems into smaller parts, which is a big part of engineering. But I also then like thinking about how do you explain those little parts in a way that helps somebody else understand them? So how do you like take them on the journey of like not knowing anything about this thing to like being able to understand this complicated system. And so I had done a little bit of that at ThoughtWorks through writing documentation and like onboarding new teammates, but I wanted that to be part of my official job description again. And so around the same time that I was sort of feeling these feelings, there was a job posting that I saw Aisha Blake posted a job description for another engineer that they were hiring for their documentation team, which was the team that she was on. And so I thought, oh, this is perfect. This is like the perfect blend of educational, like needing to know how to explain technical things to people and 
having technical skills to explain. (laughs) And so I applied for that and got that job. And so that was a lot of fun because it let me get back into technical writing, but with a sort of harder technology, like a more advanced technology than your very first website. You were able to combine education with the advanced technological knowledge that you have acquired. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's like the next level of curriculum writing, I guess. (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah, leveled up. (laughs) But it's like the kind of thing that when I was in college, I didn't even know that technical writing was like a thing that you could do, you know? Like I assumed that everybody would just go, you would be a developer forever, and then that was it. But, you know, like developer relations, technical writing, documentation, developer education, like all of these sort of subsets of the tech industry are things that I didn't know existed, but I find really align with my sort of what I thought was like a kind of unique subset of skills. I thought like, oh, who's going to need to combine these things? But it turns out a lot of people. (laughs) Unique and important. And what I would also say is when I first started my career, Developer relations, technical writing, it was not a thing. So when I first started, I was told, you can't go into QA, you can't go into technical writing, you can't do anything customer facing, or don't think about front end, because it's very gender. It's like, well, there's not a lot of opportunities Mm. there. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to do back end development and learn a back end language like Python deal with the databases, and that's how you earn respect. And I'm really glad to see the industry like mature and see the need for developer education and inclusiveness. If you make all these apps, how good are they if no one knows how to use them? I felt the exact same thing where like, I remember when I was learning software at ThoughtWorks, I was like, okay, I want to learn backend stuff for the same reason, because it was like, I'll be taken seriously. People will like, know that I know my technical stuff if I can build a database. Exactly. Whatever. As I've gotten older, I'm like trying to lean more into like, okay, you know, I like trying to figure out how to make things look pretty. I'm not good at it, but like, I like thinking about that and thinking about accessibility. That's something that I'm really interested in. And those are front end things. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're hard things to know. And I feel like anybody who says otherwise maybe hasn't tried it. Before, I was like, what? You have empathy? Screw that and leave that out the door. Yeah. And now, like, we can do, like, documentation, like, developer relations. But getting back to your website, your website is very pretty. Oh, thanks. Not only is it accessible, but it actually has, like, a page dedicated to accessibility. Thank you. That is something I think I copied that from Marcy Sutton has... Great knowledge on all things accessibility. So we saw your accessibility section, the blog, but we really want to talk about your manual. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Like what inspired you one day to say, I am going to spend some time and write a manual about me? Document yourself, right? I mean, that's really what you've done. Yeah, I think that I started this when I worked at Gatsby. So it was like part of my onboarding. This is something that Aisha Blake has everybody do for like her teams that she joins, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. Oh, that's Uh, brilliant. For hers, it wasn't like put it on the internet, but she was just like, you know, for us, since (laughs) we're going to be on a team, we should like know a little bit about each other and just sort of how we function as teammates, like what kind of feedback that we like, what kinds of things we value, what we're good at, what we're working on, what we're working on improving about ourselves. 
And so Steph Smith had put something like this out. I think that she has it on her website too. And I thought like, oh, why not? I've already written this thing. It's probably good to just have this out there anyway. So that if I do something weird on the internet and people are like, oh, does she hate me? I can just be like, no, I just don't check my email. (laughs) Number one, that's brilliant. And Steph Smith, she is part of the hustle, which is HubSpot now. Anyone who wants to be smart about being smart and about like thinking and systems, Steph Smith is amazing. She's got a really great website too, of just sort of like tracking her goals and like working in public, which I think is really neat. She's amazing. She has a podcast too with her now fiance, where they talk about the future of work. That's cool. Getting back to the manual, what inspired you to publish? Because you mentioned in the 80s, it was like, okay, you, everyone in this team makes this. But what inspired you to say, hey, let me share this with the world? I guess I just kind of felt like, why not? <laughs> like, it's my personal website. It's all about <laughs> me anyway. This is at least a little bit more about me than, you know, I feel like the writing that I do, the sort of technical content, it's not really about me. It's just stuff that I've written. So it's my lens on a particular topic. But this one is more of just like, hey, this is what kind of a person I am. I thought it was super helpful yeah. as well in terms of prepping for the podcast, right? Where you're like, oh, like, oh nice. Who is this that we're talking to, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you engage with people in a work context outside of work and being able to like set that expectation is really useful. So I don't know. I just, I saw it and I loved it. I thought it was oh, nice. such a great idea and, and very well written. Probably not surprising. Oh, thank but. you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It's got a lot of emojis on it. There's even a self-referential, you know, I use lots of emojis. That's true. What they don't mean. <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought that was really great. Thanks. Yeah, it's like having a cheat sheet. I would like this on other people. If everybody wrote one of these, I feel like as somebody who's like a little socially anxious, this would make me feel a lot easier. Or like a lot more calm. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. I'd feel so exposed if I wrote something like this. That's true. That's the other side. But then if you're the one writing it, you get to decide what goes in it. So you don't have to put anything that you don't want them to know. <laughs> That, that's very true. I have a question that I hope lands well. You mentioned something about taking detailed notes. And then you mentioned that yeah. you, on a flip side, hesitate to volunteer to be the note taker. Oh, yes, this is true. Could you talk more about that? There's something called being glue. It's a very good talk. That'll be in the show notes. The person who wrote it, she's now, I think, senior engineer at Shopify. She did a presentation. It's a whole website about being blue. And the purpose of it is to mention that there are certain leadership things that you might do, especially if you're a woman, that is needed, such as, I don't know, training, writing documentation, writing tests that don't really translate into helping you career-wise. And so I think note-taking is one of those things where... It's something that's needed, but it's not like something that's professionally valued. What would you say about women who want to help out their team, but they don't want to be like glue? And do you mind even just giving another definition of glue? Because I don't know if I was that clear. Yeah, no, I think that you're right. It's like the stuff that has to happen, the sort of day-to-day tasks that have to happen to hold everything together, but that you don't necessarily get credit for in like a performance review at the end of the year. Nobody's like, hey, you've been doing a lot of managing all of our tickets in JIRA. We appreciate that. Here's a bonus. (laughs) I think uh, it's hard because 
it is stuff that has to happen and that like drastically decreases the amount of friction of just trying to get your job done as a team, especially when you're working with a bunch of people. I think for me, the thing that I always try to think about is like, how do we bake in a system so that this responsibility does not fall onto one person? It's shared amongst all of us. So like for taking notes, something that's worked really well in on teams in the past is having a rotation where it's just like somebody is always taking notes. We just have a list at the top of the doc. Here's everybody's name that's in this meeting and we just go down the list. And so that way everybody can add stuff in if they want to, but there's one person in charge of making sure that notes happen. Yes, that's amazing. Right, it's basically right. taking these things that are important and actually putting them in a formal system so that everyone takes part. How does like who's taking the notes always happen to be something everyone forgot until the last minute? You've been to so many meetings where it's like, oh, right, somebody needs to take notes. You're 10 minutes in. And you're like, this happens every time. <laughs> right, exactly. We also have just like a running doc where it's like, it has all of the notes for all of the instances of that meeting. And it's just like newest stuff is at the top. So at the very top of the doc, that's where the rotation goes. So at the beginning of the meeting, as soon as you open up that doc, it's like, oh, okay. Who's taking notes this week? Megan. And note taking is such an important skill too. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot of times the tendency is for the person who's facilitating to also be the note taker. But I find that doesn't work because note taking and facilitating are two different skills. I like to split those up into two different roles. So you have like a rotating facilitator and you have a rotating note taker because facilitating is mostly about like not even participating in the conversation. It's like keeping tabs on like who's spoken, who hasn't, what does it seem like we're getting stuck on? What do we need to circle back to? What do we need to table for later? And then note taking is mostly about like creating a record of like when we two weeks from now have completely forgotten everything that was said in this 30 minutes Like, what do we need to remember? And like being able to stop the conversation and say like, hey, it sounded like one person was saying this, one person was saying this. Let's like flesh that out. Yeah, a little bit. It's like the note taker is kind of keeping everybody honest. And then the facilitator is making sure that the conversation continues productively. I think the note takers, it's a documentation role. Mm. You're distilling what happened and trying to make it legible for people in the future. (laughs) Totally. It's great practice. So that then when you go to write your own docs, you're like, ah, I'm taking notes. I got this. (laughs) I have a slightly personal interest question. I mean, I feel like we've been kind of orbiting around. We kind of explicitly mentioned earlier used to be, you know, only backend developers get respect. And I do think there's this industry trend towards having respect for more of those job titles. I always look at kind of the UX industry as someone who's really elevated Mm -hmm. their status. Whereas, yeah, maybe 15 years ago, they were in the same bucket of people who were like, somebody does that job, but they don't get respect. And now they like have a seat at the table. They have a lot more of a body of knowledge. And that's one of the things I'm personally invested in with kind of the Write the Docs community and trying to build a little bit more of this. Like, I think we use the term elevate the status of documentation in the software industry. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts, especially given your kind of background as an educator and other ways of approaching it. Do you have ways that you think documentation can be taken more seriously? And and how do we get people in college to be excited and first know about documentation as an option, technical writing, but also like, hey, how do we build that status in the industry so people get excited about it and go into it as something they feel like is going to be respected? For the part about how do we get people to take this seriously, I think that a good way to do that is to talk about what's hard about documentation. Like the fact that there's a lot of thought that goes into it. Because I think that's part of the reason why people take 
backend stuff seriously is because it sounds scary when you even just <laughs> say like cloud architecture. People are like, oh my God. But I think when people say like, oh, documentation, that's just like writing stuff down. That's easy. I can do that. But there's a lot of thought that goes into that. And I don't think that people think about that when they hear the word and maybe just like assume that it's easier than it is. You know, you have to think about your users. You have to think about like what kind of headspace are they in when they come to your doc? What are they trying to achieve? Are my code snippets understandable? Do I give enough context on what this topic is before I dive into the implementation details? Like there's a lot of nuance that goes into that. Late last year, I gave a talk at Gatsby Camp. So I gave this conference talk about like documentation is for everyone. How do you make your docs approachable for both newcomers and power users? And somebody commented, I can't remember if it was like in the YouTube comments or if it was like in the chat, but somebody was like, oh, there's like a lot of thought that goes into this. And I was like, yeah, there <laughs> is. but I think that people don't know that unless you talk about it. So I think that's one way to kind of get people to take it seriously. And I feel like that happens with UX and accessibility too. And people are like, look, this is a hard problem to solve. Some of these problems, nobody knows how to solve yet. And that's why we need smart people to do this. Where the heck do they yeah. think docs come from then? I know. I don't know. Just, <laughs> you just take your notes and you publish them. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting, right? Because teachers have an immense amount of cultural respect. Just having you here kind of made me think of this, right? Like you expect the teacher to know the subject and you expect the teacher to be able to explain the subject. And you expect that to be harder than either one of those individual skills because they're both their own compounding valuable skills one on top of each other. And I, I think documentation is the exact same way, right? Writing documentation, you have to understand the system. You have to be able to explain the system. And that is inherently more difficult than just building. Lots of people can build and not explain. Lots of people right. can explain and not build. But having those two together is a, a really pretty magical set of skills. Yeah, totally. There's like this phrase that I hate that gets thrown around a lot that like those who can't do teach. And I think that's totally backwards. Like those who can't do teach badly because they like don't understand what they're <laughs> trying to teach. If you're going to teach something, you have to know how it works because how are you going to explain it? So I think, I think you just, yeah. that's the pull quote for our whole world. <laughs> <laughs> what I think it comes to is we don't talk about this enough. Jobs are a gender. And I think things that where there's emotional labor or things that need empathy is considered, oh, well, that's not hard work because it's essential. Thus, it doesn't get the respect as something like backend development, working with databases. And the one thing I will say is if you looked at careers that are gender, and I'd say UX, documentation to a certain extent, and front-end development, it's changing now. But in certain cases, these professionals do get paid less. And if anyone wants to know the history of computer science and how it's gendered and how it was like, 30 or 40% women in the 1980s and before, and how it's less partially because of this gendering of CS, we will have a link to New York Times article. Oh yeah, there was a New York Times article that was all about this, about the history of CS. I'm sorry. <laughs> and how people thought that it was simple because it was just a bunch of women typing. It's like, how hard is it? You're typing. It's kind of uh, the mirror attitude of, how hard is documentation? You're just writing. What you're actually thinking too, that's actually part of it. Yeah, totally. I guess one of the questions that we had that kind of leads on this is, do you have any kind of advice for people that want to represent kind of a, a background in education who are trying to get into this space? That One of the things I always think about is like, 
how do you represent education or kind of teaching in a background on your resume for a, a technical writing job or something along those lines? Do you have tips? I mean, that's the journey you did, but for other folks kind of trying to, to follow this path? Yeah, I think that there's definitely an avenue for people who want to start teaching people technical stuff. There are avenues like Dev.2 if you want to post your own technical content where you're teaching really anything from any level of like people just getting started to like super advanced topics. You can just write about whatever it is that you're learning. And then people will see, A, if you've got a teaching background, it's going to be a better article than people who are just brain dumping stuff onto the page because you already have... Yeah, because you've already got baked in like thinking about how to explain something for other people to learn. B, it's also going to show that you understand the technical concepts behind the article. So that kind of helps show like, look, I've got the technical chops as well as being able to explain it. So yeah, I think that there are a lot of benefits to just like doing some of your own writing. Even if you feel like nobody is going to read this, somebody might. The number of times that I've been trying to just to debug some random weird thing and I end up on somebody's blog from like 2008 and it's like, oh, cool. This is the error message. This is how I fix it. One of the blog posts that I've written that still gets the most traffic is like how to manage focus accessibly, how to build accessible focus management into some app. And then here's how to write some jest tests for it. And like, that's still the post that people land on the most. I don't know how they're finding it, but yeah, you don't know what kinds of things are going to resonate with people. So just put it out there. Cause the worst that happens is it's like one more website that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think anyone knows. It's always a running theme is like the thing you think is going to be super popular. Nobody cares about. And the thing you just read yeah. an afternoon one day and had no expectations for is your most popular thing. I, I think I've heard that from so many people writing. It's yeah. The universe is fickle. Right. Totally. Thanks. That's really helpful. I think what else makes this helpful is many people are getting into the field. They don't think they have anything of value to write about. But if you're a senior developer, there are many things that you have probably forgotten that you just take for granted, like using the command line, using Git. I would argue that those concepts are best explained by someone who's a beginner. Yeah, totally. Portia, I know that you're reading or have read Docs for Developers, but there's a section in there. I love that book. Yeah, it's this great book. You should look it up if you haven't read it. But they have a section early on where they're talking about the curse of knowledge, where it's like once you've learned a thing, you very quickly forget how hard it was to acquire that knowledge in the first place. And so I think that happens a lot with people who are further along in their careers. If they don't have a lot of teaching experience, they forget what it's like to not know how to do that. And just like all the prerequisites that have to be in line for you to be able to understand the thing anyway. Cause like the way that I explain right now, I'm learning about Apollo Federation. And so it's like me explaining what Federation That's is in one, my yeah. like two sentence summary now is going to be very different from how I would have needed to hear it as a first time back when I was first learning about it, like a couple months ago. So I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind as you get more and more advanced. You got to think about what audience you're writing for. So like how much knowledge am I expecting them to have? And even like list that out as prerequisites at the beginning of your article. What do you need to know before you get here? And if you don't know it, here's some links to help you get started. That's great. Do not get me started on that book. It's so good. It's so good. I love it. So... 
We're coming towards the end of the interview. One, Megan, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your background and sharing your story about learning CS, teaching, and how you were able to just put the two together to bring in like a better developer experience and also create a path for others with an educational background who's also interested in tech. At this point of the show, we are going to go over like shout outs. So is there any project? Is there anything that you're working on that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, so this is perfect timing. So I and Aisha Blake and Christina Gordon run the DevEd Book Club Twitter. So it's relatively new. We started it at the end of last year. Right now we are reading Docs for Developers together as a group. And then just like once a week, we have a Twitter chat to talk about a chapter and just everybody like help each other out, talk about how they approach docs, what kinds of things from the book resonated with them. So it's like an online book club. And so we are getting close to the end of Docs for Developers, which means that we are getting ready to pick our next book. So if anybody has thoughts, things that they want to read together as a group, we're focused mainly on technical or education books, anything that sort of falls under that developer educator category. So yeah, if you want to come and join, even if you're not reading the book, if you want to just like come and hang out and chat about some stuff once a week, those happen on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Well, thank you so much, Megan. I am actually part of Docs for Developers, like that book club. I love it. It's low key. Even if you're not free on Thursday, I heard that there are some people three or four days after the actual discussion put in their comments. So yeah, if I can personally vouch for it. It's a wonderful book club and I can't wait for hey. the next book. Yeah. If you've got any requests, throw them on the thread because right now it's just me. <laughs> One of the things that I'm kind of working on and wanted to shout out was the Write the Docs Portland call for proposals that is open until basically mid-February. But yeah, if you're someone who is excited about you know, we talked about a couple different talks in this episode where people had a lot of impact on being glue and, and other places. And a lot of the folks from the Docs for Developers book that we just talked about are also active in the community. So yeah, we'd love to to have everybody's perspective on all sorts of things around documentation. And so if you're excited to give a talk, the CFP is open until the middle of February. All right, Portia, did you have anything else you also wanted to, uh, to call out today? Oh yeah. Thanks, Eric. So I run a technical documentation agency called Document Right, and we work with startups, we work with tech companies to help improve their documentation. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, well, thanks again to Megan. And yeah, we're excited to see everybody else next week on the next episode of Let's Talk Docs. 